<laughs> so Obadiah was the book we did last week. We're going to go to the book of James tonight. And uh, appreciate all y'all being here. We are live. We welcome all you guys that are joining us live. And uh, we want to share God's word with you. So in the book of James, when somebody is a new believer, if I lead somebody to Christ or if I know that they're uh, freshly born again, uh, then I'll send them straight to the book of James. And uh, because this is where practical Christianity, Christianity is uh, portrayed. But I think all of us have to come back to this because we can lose our bearings and get back, make sure we're living the basic fundamentals of our Christian life and uh, not get too big for our britches, right? Uh, some of the, some of the, uh, well, we may have all gotten too big for our bridges, but that's another story. That's in a, that's a different kind of, but let's, uh, uh, let's pray and let's get into the book of James. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your long suffering. Where would we be without all of that? And we ask you to help us to do your will. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins and our transgressions and, uh, make us more like you, Lord, as we get into your word and as your Holy Spirit moves in our lives. We know we're living in the last days, Lord, and we know there's a lot coming at the body and the church and the entire world, but we want to make sure that we're keeping our lives where they need to be and doing the first things first. And we don't want to be like the church in Ephesus, Lord. We don't want to leave our first love. Uh, we want to stay focused on the things you intend for us to do and follow through with and not uh, outgrow those things in our minds. We ask for your help tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So James is a half-brother of Jesus. He really wouldn't. We don't have any evidence that he was a follower until uh, after the resurrection. So a lot of people, if you think about it, even the people in Jesus' neighborhood and family, not all of them just jumped on board, you know. And uh, some of them were probably jealous. Some of them probably thought Jesus was out of his mind, right? And some of them were just probably just waiting to see if he actually did rise from the dead. So there's a lot of things going on. The whole dynamic of the book of Hebrews, the, book's right, the book right prior to this, uh, about how they were struggling with about coming out from under the law and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff that plays out. Now, um, Finding out something that Jesus has come and said he's the fulfillment of the law and just jumping right into that. Everybody wasn't eager to do that. So James does, he does uh, believe in Christ. He does come to that and he's used and he's used by the Lord in a mighty way. But uh, he's uh, also the one that they say was beheaded because of his position that he wouldn't deny his faith and his prayer times. So uh, let's look at some of this. We're going to work right here real There's a lot to work through here. A lot to, and th we will not get through this book in a couple of nights. <laughs> uh, but if you're a, a new believer, this is where you really need to spend some time. I would send you here first. If I, if I led you to Christ or you were in my, I would send you to the book of James. Then I would send you the book of John. Then I would send you the book of Psalms, and then you could start working your way around the Bible. That's how I would direct you if I was, had just led you to Christ. 
So you could get grounded in basic Christianity. You can get grounded in uh, who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is. All that would come from the book of John. And then you could see how real life is lived out by people who are followers in the book of Psalms. And it's just real life, right? Something I've been telling people, especially the last year, life happens to everybody. It really does. Things happen in our lives. And so we need to keep our uh, focus on the Lord. James is a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's important that he would say that because whether he was a skeptic, a late believer, maybe he didn't even want to believe at first. We don't know all the ins and outs of that. But for him to say a bondservant, he's chosen to believe in his half-brother, if you can say it that way. Uh, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, he's writing to them greetings. And James later become the head of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he was looked to as the, uh, the head of that. And he's, uh, so he writes us some good information here. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, tribulation, temptations, things that are coming your way. Now, hold your spot there and go with me to Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, I'll show you a verse here. And if your Bible seems to contradict itself, you've got the problem. Because the Bible does not contradict itself. Uh, in, in, John, in Mark 14 verse 38, Jesus says, here's what he says. Simon, he came back and found his guy sleeping. And he says, uh, verse 38, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there's no contradiction. It sounds like one of them's, one verse is saying you better stay away from temptation. Another one is saying uh, count it all joy when you fall into that moment. But the difference is not, the difference is entering and falling. So if you think about all of you all made decisions to enter into this building tonight. You consciously made those decisions. If you walk out here and fall and knock your two front teeth out on the way out, God forbid, uh, you don't plan to do that. That's not something you designed or entered into. It's something that came out of nowhere. So that's basically sometimes God allows us to go through trials. And then sometimes we need to be praying and avoiding those situations that would put us in, a, in harm's way. So the difference is between entering and falling. One, you make a conscious decision to go into. A fall is something you do not make a conscious decision to do. So that's the difference. There's not a contradiction here. There's a difference in the approach. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, and here's that word we like to use, patience. Uh, and this word, I'm going to put this up here on my board. Hupomene is the word that is translated here. And it's translated, some places it's translated patience as it is here. Some places it's translated endurance. Some places it's translated faithful. All of those are part of the meaning of this word hupomene. And if we transliterate that, that means just simply to sound it out. Uh, how he would say that with a short E out here. So all of these, and you've heard me say this a lot, lead us to the big meaning of this word is consistency. That's what he's saying there. 
So if you look around your circle, this building, all of us here, myself, all of us in this group, none of us in this building are going to be perfect. But we can all be consistent. And that's what you need to ask yourself when you look in the mirror about your Christianity. Are you consistent? Are you being consistent? So uh, that's what, read it. Let's read it like that. But let, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces consistency. So if you could view the trying of your faith like going into a weight room and the more you lift those weights, the, the more strength you gain. And that's kind of how your faith journey is. So basically what he's saying here, he's saying, let, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces consistency. And then he goes on, he says, but let consistency have its perfect work. Here's the problem with most Christians when they're frustrated. Your, this word has these in it. It is, hupomene has patience, it has endurance, it has faithfulness. All that is a part of this Greek word, hupomene, that we trans, that's translated here in the New King James, patience. It's not a wrong translation. It's just not full, right? So what the, 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 the translators did, they took this word hupomene, and they translated patience here. Some places, this same word, if we run through the Bible, it would be translated endurance. And it would also sometimes be translated faithful. And they, the King James folks, they took that word and they used part of the meaning every time trying to illustrate. Nothing, it's not wrong. It's, it's just not full. So all of this, these words are part of this word. But they lead us to its fuller meaning, which is consistency. So, as I've shared with you before, the thing that a Greek word can do that an English word cannot do is, in the context of the New Testament, is that it's like a, it's like a paint swatch. So, if you have a paint swatch, you have uh, four colors of blue on that swatch. You can look at that and you could say, and not be wrong, you could say, well, those are blue. And that's correct, right? And that's kind of what we have to do sometimes when we try to drag these words over from Hebrew and English because we don't have, we're not, we don't have as specific a language as they did. And they can say a lot more with fewer words than we can. Uh, and so, but if you look at that swatch, you can look on there and it'll say navy blue. It may say aqua blue. It may say midnight blue. And then it may say royal blue, right? Four different shades of blue, but they're all blue. And that's what the Greek can do that the English can't do. It can kind of condense, can identify what kind of blue we're talking about here. I'll give you an example. There are two words in the Greek that are used for under. If I use those words, you know automatic. I only have to say the word. I don't have to use a bunch of adjectives to describe it. Right? In English, that's not true. If I call you on the phone and say, well, I'm under it today, you don't know what I'm under unless I begin to describe it, right? If I use the Greek in that and I say I'm under it, depending on which word I use for under, you would know whether I'm under something physically, like underneath a car working on the muffler, or if I'm under some emotional load. You would know that immediately. 
We can't do that in English. I know the English language is messed up in a lot of ways, and it's, it seems to be hard, and it is difficult in some ways. Uh, because all of our all of our rules don't follow the same thing a lot of times, but we do, we don't have, and that's the beauty I think of how the Holy Spirit directed for the Scripture to be originally written in Hebrew and Greek. I think it's he it's amazing because those languages do such a good job. So you can use a word for like in the in the Greek you can use a word for a judge, and you can use certain words that will tell you things that we have to have all kinds of adjectives to describe but you can know if it's a singular judge or a plural judge or a female judge or or a male judge all with one word we we can't do that kind of stuff so that's that's the this that's why this word is so important this word hupomene here that's translated patience if you the the root the power of the meaning is consistency but if now think about this if you're going to be consistent in anything, we're talking about your spiritual life, which is the most important thing, right? That's the most important thing in any of our lives is our spiritual journey. If we're going to be consistent, what do we have to do? We have to be patient. We have to be willing to endure. And we have to be faithful. So all of that's part of being consistent. So if you're going to be consistent in anything, right? If you're going to be consistent... For the football team, that means you got to practice when it's 100 degrees outside. I know mommies don't like to hear that. But that, and if you're going to be consistent, right? You got to do it, right? And if, if you're a father or something, you know, when the snow's on the ground and it's 18 inches deep, you get up and go to work anyhow, right? You're going to be consistent, right? Because there's things that stay. So if you're going to be consistent, you're going to, these traits are going to be a part of your life. You're going to be patient. You're going to endure. You're going to be faithful. That, and so, that, so let's read it like that. Let's see. It says, but let consistency have its perfect work in verse 4, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So verse 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces this consistency, that, but let then he says, that's why, why your faith is tried or tested. That's why you're in those kind of things. So you'll grow in your consistency, right? Uh, somebody that's paid a price and been faithful and endured, it's hard to run them off. Because they got a lot invested in it, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be just a spiritual journey. It could be a team or a job or whatever. That's what I love about that woman who said, my daughter needs help. And Jesus said, we're not giving meat off the master's table to dogs. You know, most people would have went home feeling sorry for themselves and run Jesus down on Facebook, right? That's what they would have done. Not her. She wasn't backing down. She said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs that come off the table. And Jesus said, hey, 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 you got it. Right here. And so, but most people, even in church folks, would have been mad at Jesus. But Jesus put her to the test and she passed it. A lot of times that's what's going on. That's why we have to be patient. We can't, don't get in the middle of a situation and think God's abandoned you. Because the Bible says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? And that's a faith issue. You got to stand firm on God's word. When you can't see things with your natural eye. And that's not how this journey was supposed to be lived anyway. We walk by faith and not by sight. When you can't see what you think you ought to see or need to see, you've got to remember what God's Word says. 
and stand on that word. And that's what he's going to talk about some more down here. He says, so, but let consistency have its perfect work. So you know and I know that consistency pays off, right? It pays off. We've seen that in other things. It's true in your spiritual journey. That consistency will pay dividends if you'll just be consistent. You're going to have a lot of reasons not to be consistent. You're not going to feel like doing what God's asked you to do. You're not going to feel like getting out of bed and going to church. You're not going to feel like going on Wednesday because you've worked all day. You're not, you're not going to feel like witnessing to somebody. You're tired, but God's put them in front of you. Whatever the situation is, you're going to have all kinds of reasons not to be consistent. But if you'll be consistent, it will pay dividends. The Bible says we will reap in due season if we do not faint. I think one translation says if we don't lose heart. Now, when I was growing up, I made every uh, neighbor mad. I had my dad put my basketball, and I'm, I'm talking about when we had wooden backboards, right? We had to nail a wooden backboard. We had to get in the back of a truck and make sure the rim was 10 feet off the ground because I couldn't dunk it if it was 11 feet off the ground. I couldn't dunk it. <laughs> and I made him put it under this street light we had. So that meant at 1030 at night, the neighbors would hear me thum, 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 dribbling. And I kid you not, if there was six inches of snow on the ground, guess who was outside shooting basketball? Me. I had gloves on. I learned how to dribble with gloves. If you can learn how to dribble with gloves, then you can really dribble when you take the gloves off. And over time, I got consistent at shooting that basketball. Now, to be honest with you, I couldn't guard people in a phone booth. I was just a step slow sometimes. <laughs> but I could shoot. And there's always room for a shooter. Because as far as I know, the team with the most points always wins. <laughs> so I got consistent at it. And, it. and because I was consistent at doing that, I didn't have to pay a dime for my college education. But I got consistent at it. And I, I was out there constantly shooting ball, playing ball when everybody else was inside. And I got consistent at it. This principle that he's teaching us here will work in every facet of life. We know that. So why would we bail on God? We know. Listen, the people that do the retirement, they tell you it's that consistent deposit. It's not trying to catch that wave. It's that, that consistent deposit that winds up paying dividends down the road. And there, there's, he's going to talk about making deposits in this very book. That whatever. That's why if you all got on some of those short clips on YouTube, if you've not got on those, shame on you. But if you get on some of our short clips on YouTube, one of the things I say, the number one place you should invest or make deposits, I do a little clip on there, is your spouse. That's the number one place you and I should make deposits. And if we'll make those, it will pay dividends. My wife really loves me. 
Just go ask her. She's next door in the nursery. It pays dividends. And we know that in everything, yet sometimes God is the one that gets shortchanged, isn't he? He is. Because we just put him off. And it's not that God, God never asks us to be perfect. He's just asking us to hang in there and be consistent. Endure. Endure. How many times do you read that in the New Testament? He talks about endure, endure, endure. Who's the guy you can count on or the gal you can count on? The one that will endure. Not the one that just shows up here and there, right? And so he says, but let patience, let uh, consistency have its perfect work. For you may be that you, look at this, what a word this is. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's what consistency will do for us. It will cause us to be in a spot of lacking nothing, being consistent. And I know you guys, many of you are experiencing that because you've gotten so serious about your Christian life, that, uh, about getting in God's Word and honoring Him with your substance. And that's paying dividends. That's how it works when you're consistent. He says, then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, uh, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally with, without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, that's something I want to just remind you of. When's the last time you asked God for wisdom? That might be something you want to think about doing every week or every day. To just ask God to give you wisdom. He will. And there's going to be situations every week that you and I are going to need God's wisdom. He tells us what to do about that, right? He tells us to ask him for wisdom. Now, you can gain knowledge by reading and studying, but wisdom is something that's different. I, I, I like to say it this way. Knowledge may give you information, but wisdom from God will train you how to use that information and when to use it, when to be timely with it, right? That's, that's the difference between wisdom, and that wisdom comes from God, comes from the Holy Spirit, and he tells us to ask for that. You ought to go through your New Testament especially and anything God specifically tells you to do, you ought to be practicing it. I should. We all should. Right? And the, he says, watch and pray. That's something we just read. We should practice that. That word watch means to be circumspect. Right? So that you know what's going on around you. And so you don't become prey to the enemy or Satan. He says, then he says, look what he says. He says, it will be given to him. That's, that's a promise, right? Ask God for wisdom. Let's do that right now. Father, we just pray. I pray for myself and everybody under the sound of my voice that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we, we're asking for that. And I'm asking on behalf, and I know the hearts of our people and the people that are watching around the globe, that their heart can be right there. Lord, we need your wisdom. These are times like we've never seen before. And they're not gonna, the world's not going to get better, Lord. We know it's running, racing toward its destination of having to give an account to you. And so, Lord, we pray for wisdom, how to navigate, how to move in this time, how to be effective witnesses, how to be effective husbands and wives and brothers and sisters in the body and, and whatever you've given us to do. God, we pray for wisdom. We need your wisdom. Uh, we're not that smart, Lord. We, we don't want to get high on ourselves. Let, let not a man think more of himself than he ought. So we ask, Lord, that you would 
have uh, show your mercy toward us and give us wisdom, wisdom that comes from you, as James will tell us later, that comes from above. In Jesus' name. So then he says, uh, uh, he gives us this, and then he says, uh, but let him ask in faith, uh, no, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And it, I, I, I almost believe that James probably is speaking some level of experience here. Because we don't find any evidence of him believing until after the resurrection. So he, he's probably knows, he probably has had this struggle. Now, I want to say something that you all have heard me say from time to time. I want to remind you of this. And it, it may catch you off guard, but just buckle your seatbelt. Uh, God don't move because of need. He don't. If God moved because of need, there wouldn't be any. He'd, he'd see a need and he'd fix it. If God moved because of need, everybody would go home for me from McDowell this evening. Or wherever. There wouldn't be any children in children's hospital. If, I, if all, all, that, of all that it took for God to move, to cause God to move was somebody to have a need, then he'd fix it. God don't move by need. He moves by faith. That's how, he, that's how he moves. So you and I can get all worked up. And I know, listen, the hardest place I go and doing what I've done for 30-some years is the children's hospital. When you walk in there and you see, uh, see the suffering of a little child that has not even had a chance to sin or anything. You know what I'm saying? You just see how, how you know, it's a, it's a hard moment. To see what they go through. And the ones I've visited over the years. And to see them all going through that. It's a tough time. But God don't move just because there's a need. If he did. He'd fix them every day. God moves by faith. So he's going to talk about that here. He says. If you're going to ask. He's talking about wisdom. But he's going to, we can apply this. It says in other things. Let him ask of faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. Let's start with this simple concept before we get out and try to empty out children's hospitals. But let's start with this concept. Do you believe, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot right here. And, and I'm, I'm in this with you because I, I, I'm a sheep like you. Bah. Do you believe that God wants to share his wisdom with you? He does, or he wouldn't have said that. So let's start believing incrementally. Hey, there's something we can believe. Do you believe God wants to share his wisdom with you? And everybody's spouse said, sure he does. <laughs> sure he wants to share it with them, right? Right. So God wants to share his wisdom with you. But he, he, he put a prerequisite, right? Ask him faith. Ask him. And believe it. Now we do believe that, right? We do believe that. That God wants to share his wisdom with you. Do you believe that Jesus would, would be willing to share other stuff with you? Think about it. So he says, uh, and he will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And, and we see that with Peter, right? Peter steps out of that boat. 
And let's give him some credit. He's the only other guy we know that walked on the water was Jesus. Jesus and Peter. So he's in good company. He, he steps out on the water. He's fine until he starts looking around him, right? He's got his eyes on Jesus. He's fine, but he starts looking at the waves and he starts sinking. That is such a parallel for all of us. The minute we take our eyes off of Jesus and his word, which are one and the same, that's why these yahoos, and I'm calling them yahoos, that are in, some of them are even in the church world, that say, I love Jesus, but I don't believe his word. You can't do that. They're one and the same. If you reject the word, you're rejecting Jesus. I don't care what the culture teaches. The culture's not the final authority. And neither is any denomination. The final authority is this book right here. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but this will stand forever. There's not going to be any Methodists, Baptists, Pentecostals, Lutherans in heaven. They're all going to be blood-bought believers who follow Jesus Christ. So, here he says... Don't let this guy, he says, he's like a wind. For letting, and that's what Peter experienced. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he's fine. Same thing is true for us. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep it on his word. For he says, for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. So he's broadened it out, right? He's talking about wisdom. Get that wisdom from God. But when you ask, believe that you can get it, right? And now he kind of broadens it out to everything. He says, don't that he gets anything. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. He linked our lack of faith to being unstable. Wow. In another place, in this same book, he's going to call unbelief evil. We don't do that. We pat people on the back and say, oh, you'll grow, honey. No. He calls it evil. An evil heart of unbelief. Here's the thing I know about true believers. If they see something that they know God's against, they'll, they'll move in that. But if it's something they can kind of waller around with, a lot of times we'll settle with it. But what if we saw unbelief the way God sees it? And why? Notice what he said. This is why faith can happen for anybody at any age. He said, thus old folks need to be like what? Little children. Because they believe whatever we tell them, don't they? If you tell them you're going to go to Dollywood, you better go to Dollywood. They're counting on it. And when they get in the car to go to Dollywood, they don't do like us adults. They don't say, Dad, did you check the brake fluid and the oil and do we have enough gas? They just jump in and say, let's roll. That's how we ought to be with God. You think we need to ask God if he's checked his brake fluid or not? But that's, I'm trying to give you a parallel here. He says, why would he be so staunch about faith because he said it's like little children have so us adults need to take a lesson from little children they don't they don't question when they get a word that they put that they believe we should be the same way so this double-minded guy in the greek it's like uh, having two heads like somebody with two heads and so if you get in your car and you got a, well, this head saying, I want to go to Wendy's. And this head says, I want to go to McDonald's, right? 
you, you, and they're fighting over which direction you're going to go. It's like having two heads and both of those heads trying to give you instruction of what to do. Go left, go right, right? And so they, that, that, that's what this is like, like a two-headed person who can't really get anywhere because they're, they're pulling against each other. He's unstable in all his ways. And it goes back to what? Faith. That our faith in God would bring so many resolutions to situations. And as we grow in that, it'll continue to do that. So he says, count it all joy when you fall into trials. That these trials will produce consistency. And if you'll let consistency do its work in you, it'll make you in a place to where you won't lack anything. That's the kind of life we need to live, right? Let the lowly brother, verse 9, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with its burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. There it is. So I mentioned this Sunday morning. What would your top 10 list look at like that's important in your life? What would your pursuits be like? Where would they be? And if you remember, I said, I'm not here to call balls and strikes. But when you, if God said something to you and you didn't do it, you weren't willing to do it because something up here was more important than what he'd ask you to do or something in this list, then you just found out something about yourself, didn't you? You actually found out what's most important. And I, if God said, hey, I want you to give that to somebody or give that to a missionary. And you said, well, I might need that sometime. Well, I'm not calling the ball and strike on that. I'm just saying you just found out something about yourself, right? You just found out that what God asked of you was not as important as you hanging on to whatever that was. And that's where we need to be real with ourselves is, say, is just take inventory. I think it's good for us to take inventory ever so often and see what God's asked of us. When's the last time you got, I'll guarantee you God would like to hand off every one of us something regularly, a special task, right? He wants, he has a personal relationship with all of us. And so what would he ask of you? What, what would he ask you? And would time be the problem? Would you say, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, I'm not, again, I'm not calling balls and strikes. I'm just saying you just found out something about yourself, right? That going home and resting that evening was more important than driving over and spending another hour witnessing to somebody. I don't know. I'm just saying that's how we find out what's most important to us. And I, like, again, I'm not calling anybody out or not throwing. I don't even know everybody's situation. I'm just letting you work through this in your own mind. When you get challenged by the Holy Spirit to move in a certain direction and you put that off or decide not to do it based on the fact that you think, right? Why did you think? You thought because you weren't getting God's wisdom, you were using your own. Now, I'm going to say something that's rough right here. You don't have the kind of wisdom, and I don't either, that the Holy Spirit has. 
When he gives you something to do or, or tries to hand off something to you, it may be a little sacrificial for you, but you ought to flip back in your mind's eye and remember Jesus packing that tree up that hill. The next time we think it's a little too aggressive or too much to ask, we need to roll back. That's, that's really what we should be doing in communion weekly. We shouldn't be having no ritual. That bread and grape juice ain't taking you nowhere. What we should be doing is what Paul said in Corinthians, do it over. That word remembrance in the Greek means to do over. And it says remember or do over. Here's how that should be said. Do over the Lord's death in your mind. You should remember what a heavy price he paid. So the next time he may ask you to get out of bed at 1 o'clock in the morning and go down to the hospital to room 146, you ought to get out of bed and go to the hospital in room 146. Because that is a sacrifice. I understand that. But what kind of sacrifice will we ever bring that will even come close to comparing to the sacrifice he gave? Nothing. We would have never made it off the block with the whip. We'd have got mad and tried to get a lawyer when they spit on us. <laughs> he done it all. So him asking you to give up a little more money or a little more time or go do something. Yeah, it, it could be inconvenient at times, especially if you've got your life planned out and God's not even allowed to interrupt your supper. Come on now. Let's think about who he is, what he's done, and what we owe him. I, I'm going to say it like that. We owe him. We'll never repay him. If we get out of bed in the morning, if we get up in the middle of the night a hundred times in our lifetime to do something for him, that'll never repay what he's done for us. If we gave every dime we had to the kingdom of God, it would still fall short of repaying what he's done for us. So... What happens to us, the Holy Spirit comes by with a little talk or something to hand off to us. And we use our reasoning and our wisdom to wiggle out of it if we're not careful. Instead of just saying, You're, listen, we all know this. If you've been a believer any time at all, you know that you're never, ever going to outgive God in anything. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. Whatever you give away, you're never going to outgive him. I'm never going to outgive him. I'm so far in the hole. We're all so far in the hole. We're never. You think just for one minute here, think of how long suffering God's been to you. Makes me want to bawl every time I think about it. How long suffering? Times when you walked out on him, when you just left for a season and done your own thing, and why? Because you had some good earthly wisdom. We all did, right? The times you just kind of slid away. The times you were trying to hide from God. And all he was trying to do was do us good. Long suffering is mind-boggling. So he says, uh, this guy, he's, uh, he's caught up in his pursuits, right? The Bible says, it doesn't say that money's evil. It says the love of it's evil. Falling in love with it. That's what give you problems. Right? And he says, this guy is taking off in his pursuits. He'll, he'll fade away in his pursuits. So let your pursuit be God. Be blessed. 
however he desires to bless you. Then here's that word markarios that we see come up in the Beatitudes. Blessed or receiver or recipient of divine favor is the word markarios here for blessed. Is the, excuse me, is the man who endures temptation. There's part of that consistency again. So count it all joy when you fall into temptation. Uh, pray that you don't enter into it. One is a conscious decision to go after something that you know is not God's will. Another one is God, that's God's design to make you stronger. And he said, with every temptation that comes along, he'll make a way of escape. So he's, he's making us stronger with the times of trials that we have with him. And he says, blessed is the man, receiver divine favor is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Have you made it there? Have you been approved? Have you fought the enemy? Have you stood your ground? He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each man is, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And that's what Jesus was telling us in Mark 14 there to avoid then when desire has conceived, it gives, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So that's, that's the process. Now, here's, think about this for a minute. Sin is a deceiver, but it's also very appealing. Because the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, right? So the devil appeals to the flesh. He makes it appear to be harmless. And then he starts telling us, about what we deserve and how we've earned things, right? And he starts working his way in. That's how this whole mess got started. He came in on Eve. Eve was there, and he challenged Eve. He said, hath God said? She should have stood up right then and said, yeah, that's what he said. We're done. We're done talking. But he challenged that, and right? And then he says, he says to Eve, here's what the devil wants to do. He wants to fulfill his lust through us. That's what he desires to do. So here he says to her, he says, no, nah, you won't die, right? So he takes a lie. He tells her a lie. He said, you won't die. He said, because when you eat that tree, that fruit, the Lord, you'll be like God. See, that was his whole desire, right? He wanted to be like God. So he said, when you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. And, and so he challenged her on that and deceived her, is how the Bible says that, and called the Hebrew word there means he caused me to forget. And that's how sin works, right? In that moment, you can get caught up in that moment. And just for that moment, just for that season, you forget. You forget about judgment. You forget about hurting God. You forget about the fallout. You forget about the consequences. And just for that moment, you pursue that. And that's how sin works. And pretty soon, sin starts taking dominion over people. In the beginning... People said, well, I'll do that and I'll do it when I choose to do it. Then over time, the sin begins to tell them when they'll do it and how long they'll do it and how long they'll stay. That's how the enemy works. He's a deceiver. And so he says, uh, the, the blessed receiver of divine favor is the one that will endure it. And he says, don't say I'm tempted to God. He don't tempt it, but each one's tempted when he's drawn away. And then when desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So every good thing going on in our lives has come from God. 
And then he says, uh, with whom there's no variance or shadow of turning. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says that in the book of Hebrews. He don't change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's our challenge. To listen to the Lord, to listen to his word, to be slow to speak, slow to wrath, for our wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. And that's a challenge sometimes. We all face that challenge. Therefore, he says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That word implanted is the Greek word infutos. It is a deposit. Now, I learned this. Uh, the Holy Spirit kind of took me back on some journeys. As he teaches me things, he, he brings them up in a practical way like Jesus did and helps me understand them. Uh, like a sower went out to sow seed, right? Some fell on stony ground, whatever. Things that we can understand. That's how the Lord tries to train us. So in this context, you get deposits put in. If you're not feeding yourself the Word of God, you don't have any deposits. And somebody said, well, I read the Bible once. Mm, don't say that to me. I'll, I will. My wrath will come out. Uh the Bible's clear that this Bible, the, the Word of God, is like food. You're supposed to take it in regularly. As you take it in, you keep your strength built up, your faith grows, and you have deposits. Just watch this. What if the bill collector come by and said, well, there's no money in your account. Well, you said, oh, I put a check in there in 1969. You've got to keep putting them in there, right? If you're going to draw money out. And if you grew up where I grew up, in the mountains, there's a lot of country stores, especially when all the coal mines were going. And you could go in some of those stores and there'd be a check or several of them taped to the pole or underneath a piece of glass on the counter. How many have seen that before? NSF, non-sufficient funds. What happened? They didn't have enough deposits to cover. See, now when Jesus got confronted with Satan, what did he do? He used the word on it. You better have it in you. Because when the devil comes by, if you don't have anything to draw out of, you're not going to fare too well. So this deposits need to be made. And that's what he's talking about. This implanted or this deposited word is able to save your souls. And I like the word souls there because that's what renews our mind. That's where our soulish man's at. Our mind, will, and emotion. That, that word will keep you renewed Keep you fresh, keep you in tune with the Lord, and keep bringing the, keeping you open to the Holy Spirit. So this infutos, that's why it's important. God made them get fresh manna every day. He could have given them, listen, he's God. He could have said, go to the grocery store once a month and get all the manna you can call back. And now it'll be good for the whole month. He didn't do that. 
He made them get up every day except for the Sabbath. He made them get up every day and go get fresh food. That's a picture of us, right? Getting that fresh food every day. So you make those deposits. Keep your spiritual man, woman build up. Let your faith keep growing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. I challenge the guys in the Bible study. We have a men's study on Wednesday morning. I challenge those guys to read the Word out loud. Actually, it was last night at the... I can't remember. I teach them. But the, the, the read the Word out loud because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It'll help keep you awake. Some of you try to doze off when you read, don't you? Tell the truth. Read it out loud. You start feeling yourself going to sleep, start reading out loud. Make the devil mad, right? Turn the TV off. Read out loud. Matthew Dillon, you can catch the next rerun. So he says, uh, then he says, lay aside this, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of weakness, receive this word, these deposits. And then he tells us something about the word. He says, be you, be doers of, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So you can see how this is practical Christianity for the person who's just been born again. That's why I send them straight to the book of James. Learn what faith's about. Learn about the, the, how important the word is. Learn about endurance. Learn about this here, about doing the word and not just listening to it. Right? A lot of times, folks, and this, this can be a problem for older folks just like it can new folks. Older folks feel like they've put their time in. You ain't put your time in till you draw your last breath. Your seasons may change. Your, your task may change. But the call remains the same. And I teach this. And I'm not going to teach it tonight because I'd have to keep you another two hours. The call never changes. The task may change. But the call is for you and I to keep knowing him. The deeper Abraham's revelation of who God was, the deeper his worship went. If you want God to really use you, you get in your closet and learn how to worship Him. Get in there and worship Him. And let the revelation of Him come alive in you. And it'll be an offspring of just that very worship that you have personally with Him. Somehow we got this misconception that worship only happens at church. It should happen every day in a believer's life. Your task may change, but Joshua wasn't over there saying, ah, oh, boys, I've done enough. He said, he's 110 years old. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to keep serving God. So your task may change, but your devotion should never change. Because he's your Lord and he's mine. Can you say amen? Let's close there. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your long suffering. We are so dependent on you. We, not just for our physical life, but eternal life. Everything for our mind to stay sane and uh, for us to be renewed in our minds. For wisdom, everything, every good gift and perfect gift has come from you. Let us recognize that, especially during this season. We, we call this the gift season. This is Christmas season to us, Lord, when we celebrate you sending your son to earth. And, and that's the greatest gift. We all know that. But help us to realize, Lord, that every good and perfect gift we have has come from you. Especially as we reflect in this moment, this season, Lord. We thank you for your love, Lord. And I say over myself and all these people, 
None of us will be perfect, Lord. You know that. But all of us can be consistent. And we ask you to help us and give us the strength we need to be consistent. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen.